guys, this is Rob McKeefrey, and you're listening to episode number 31. And what is up, everyone? Greg Jones here, your host of Authentic Athletes, where it is my job to provide you with a fun and meaningful conversation from your favorite athletes and coaches. And today, I bring you a conversation with Ron McKiffrey. And who was Ron McKiffrey, you ask? Well, he's been named the Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year twice. He's the author of the Amazon best-selling book, CEO Strength Coach. And he's held the title of strength and conditioning coach for top programs, including South Florida, Tennessee, and the Cincinnati Bengals. And what he does now is he travels the U.S. highlighting top performance centers and coaches in a video series called Beyond the Chalk. And he also has his own podcast called Chalk Talk. So this guy, Ron, he's the real deal. He has a lot of incredible advice that he has personally used during his career, and he also shares a coaching tactic that I think all coaches should use. So let's get into it. Please enjoy this conversation with Coach Ron McKiffrey. Coach McKiffrey, thanks for being on the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks a lot for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. You know, you have quite the reputation in the coaching world, specifically the strength and conditioning side. And my goal of this conversation is to dive into your career and the lessons that you've learned along the way. But I also want to find out what you coach and teach players that they can apply in their everyday life. And so, yeah, so I'd like to actually kick things off with simple question of why, you know, why did you want to become a strength and conditioning coach and kind of how that route took place? Yeah, sure. Well, started you know in hindsight you look you look back and it and it's something that you see as a you know kind of a calculated plan that it, uh, you know all the pieces kind of fit together but you know going through it it obviously didn't seem that way um i grew up you know single parent five kids dad was you know in the navy came back to, with, from the war with post-traumatic stress disorder and wow. uh drug and alcohol problem and you know was in and out of my life and you know, we, we didn't grow up in the, in the best of areas, um, you know, but, you know, mom, you know, did everything she possibly could to provide a good situation for me and my, my siblings. And, you know, and so, um, you know, I, I wrote a book, uh, you know, a, a year and a half ago or so, and, and, you know, it forced me to kind of put it in perspective. What was that moment when, when, you know, kind of, sports or football or, or strength and conditioning really kind of like came into my life. And mm-hmm. I went back, traced it back to, you know, I was walking home, you know, uh, from a, a, a middle school or from an elementary school that you know, caddy corner to it was a high school that had a, you know, two police cars and an ambulance there every single day. I just, that's my memory of it. Jeez. And I would normally walk a certain route, but you know, that, that day there were some gang members on the, on the street and um, didn't feel safe. So I walked the back way and, you know, when you're a kid and you walk a different direction, it's, it's, um, you know, it could, you might as well be walking in a whole nother state, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I, uh, I was walking that way and, and there was a football practice going on and, you know, um, I had never seen a football practice. I didn't really know much about it, you know, and uh-huh. uh, long story short, I walked out onto the middle of the football field, the middle of football practice and, and, and a coach, instead of screaming at me and telling me to get out of there, you know, saw that I was kind of distraught and, you know, just kind of, 
you know, took me, you know, took me to the side, put me on the sideline and let me sit there and watch practice. And, you know, um, at one point during the practice, one of the, you know, the quarterbacks got my attention and, and threw a football at me. And, you know, I, I missed the football. I went through it and bloodied my nose. And, you know, from that moment, from that moment on, my whole goal in life was to be an NFL quarterback. You know, I thought it was the cool, coolest thing in the world. And so, um, that led me to football, you know, football led me to, um, you know, finding the weight room and, okay. you know, in the weight room found me to, you know, I was a self-made athlete, you know, I wasn't the most gifted athlete in the world, but, but having, you know, really worked hard in the weight room and stuff, I was able to get a college scholarship and, and although I didn't make the NFL as a football player, um, I found, you know, through going through school that, um, I didn't, I thought I was going to go be a doctor, but, you know, I figured out I didn't like cutting on people. Yeah. And, uh, and then this is 20 years ago. So strength and conditioning really wasn't what it is today. And somebody suggested it to me and, and, uh, that's all it took. I, you know, I was like, that's the greatest job in the world. I, I want that job. And, um, and so, although I didn't make it as a, as a quarterback, I was able to make it as a coach in the NFL. And, and so it, so it kind of came full circle. Yeah. You made it, you made it to that level one way or another. That's, that's awesome. What a story. That's pretty sweet. And you mentioned like in your in your early years as a coach, you spent time, you know, at, at the college football level, major league baseball, NFL, NFL Europe, and then back to college with all of these transitions, you know, that's that's a lot, you know, in, in a short amount of time of what you had with your career. Can you share the benefit and what you learned most going through each of these chapters early on in your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I learned a ton at every stop. I mean, I, I grew up I, with a, a job that I feel like I grew up the most at was at the University of South Florida, where, you know, I spent 10 years of my career there. And right. we took a program from one day, you know, non-existence to, you know, one double A to one double A um, transition year to one A to ended up going to six straight bowl games and number two ranking at one point. And so and you kind of grew up and just saw, you know, all the you know, being a head strength coach there all the, you know, that comes with building a program, growing a program, having vision, having a goal when other people don't believe in it. And, and then, you know, eventually arriving and, and accomplishing those goals. And it was just, uh, it was incredible, but, you know, I mean, be it major league baseball, be it, uh, Tampa Bay Buckers, you know, I was with Kansas City Royals when, when we weren't good, but we had some good players. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was with Tampa Bay Buccaneers and we were in NFC championship game and, uh, South Florida, and then I went to NFL. I went to uh, Army Special Forces, which was completely, you know, different and, and cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and on back, and I think, I mean, I, I think you learn lessons every step of the way. But um, probably what I learned most is that there's more commonalities than there are differences. Okay. And um, motivating people to, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable is is uh, is really the job knowing or did you know going into the industry that you would be moving around to grow well i think i think it's accepted for the most part from a coaching perspective that you're gonna you're gonna have to move around yeah. or that's you know it's a volatile profession but i was actually pretty spoiled i mean i went from you know an internship you know with the kansas city royals where i was i lived i was from um to tampa bay which you know going from kansas city in the winter to tampa bay and you know, sunny and sunshine and an NFL team. I mean, that was, it was Paris. Was that when Gruden was there? No, it was with coach Dungey. Okay. Nice. And uh, then we went, I went to, you know, as part of that kind of went to NFL Europe as a head strength coach and, 
um, came back and, you know, went right into South Florida, which is in Tampa as well. And so I really only moved once, you know, early in my career. And that was in the same place for, you know, close to 13 years. So it didn't seem like I moved a lot, but, um, but since then, you know, I've, I've gone to special forces in Tennessee and Cincinnati Bengals and Eastern Michigan and, and now with play. And I think it's, it's just part of the thing that you accept by going in the profession that you're, you're on an adventure and you're on a journey and you got to embrace that. Yeah, for sure. Which one was your hardest move? Was it to Europe? I, I should say that it was the hardest move because we were only, my wife and I were only married for, for about six months before I left her for eight months to go to NFL Europe without her. <laughs> She would probably be mad at me if I said it wasn't the hardest one, but the hardest one was probably Eastern Michigan in that, you know, we decided to keep my family in Knoxville and uh, I ended up, long story short, being, you know, three and a half years apart from my family, you know, and it wasn't as bad as it sounds. And you Skype, you call, you, you know, come up, they go, you know, they come up, I go down and, and all that. But, um, so it worked out and, you know, having been in special forces and, and knowing, you know, what those families go through where guys, you know, they may be leaving for years at a time and, and, uh, you know, and, and not knowing if they're going to come home even, yeah. um, you know, you keep it in perspective, but, but that was probably the toughest. We highlighted this on before a little bit, but coaching is definitely to move around, to move up, you have to move around. Right. And it's also a networking industry. When you first started your career, what did you do to network yourself and get yourself out there? You know, what I preach to young coaches now is the important thing is to, to, you know, to not have fear about reaching out to leaders, mentors, you know, the, the, the top of the, of the, um, of the profession, you know, and I yeah. think sometimes as young people, we, we, you know, oftentimes we, we think that that person's out of reach or that they, they don't, they wouldn't want to talk to you or, um, you know, or you feel inferior about your own capabilities and you don't want to be put in a situation where you look dumb or whatever. And for some reason, I just, I just didn't have that. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I was willing to reach out and talk to anybody and I, I was very inquisitive. And so I'd ask a million questions. And, um, and by doing that, I, you know, I was able to connect with, you know, I mean, I was able to connect with the head strength coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when I probably shouldn't have had, you yeah. know, shouldn't have been able to. I was able to get a head strength coach job, you know, when I was 22 years old, you know, in NFL. Um, when that's really, I had no business being a head strength coach at that time, you know. And I think having um, just that 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 lack of fear to go out and put myself out there, and even like with things with my podcast, and you know, I'm I'm constantly reaching out to you know, best-selling authors and actors and, you know, fitness personalities and the elite strength coaches around the world. And, you know, it'd be very easy to feel, you know, like, oh, why would they want to talk to me? But, right. you know, I think I think if you're a good person and your your intentions are pure and, you know, people that are at that level, they want to help people um, do that. They want to, you know, they, they've all been helped. They didn't get there without any help of their own. And so, they know that most of them feel obligated to kind of reciprocate that. Yeah. No, that's some really good advice. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I want to ask you a little bit more about your experience as a coach, specifically in the strength and conditioning industry. And how do you set the bar in the weight room for incoming recruits and incoming freshmen? 
you know, I, I think obviously setting your expectations and communicating that is, is, the, is the way to go about it. But, um, I try to do that in the recruiting process. I mean, I, you know, I tell them essentially two things. I tell them, you know, a, um, well, I, you know, I care about you more as a person than I do as a player. And, you know, I think that's oftentimes as a coach, you know, you're, if you're dropped to the third or fourth string, you don't feel like you, you know, you get the same kind of a, uh, you know, accountability or attention or whatever you want to say. But as a strength coach, I don't, I don't, I don't have depth charts. You know, I have, right. you know, 105 guys. And so it, it's important for me, them to know that, and not only that, because, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to see them every single day that I have to be involved in their life to be able to ask them to be uncomfortable in a January when it's five degrees outside, yeah. you know? You know, the second thing is that I, I tell them that I have a relentless pursuit for continuous improvement. And it's, you know, and I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, exaggerating when I say I'm relentless. I mean, that's all I think about do it's, you know, I invest, you know, a hundred percent of myself in, in what I'm doing. And, and, um, I expect the same from the people I surround myself with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so sometimes that doesn't always match up with what they, you know, what they want to focus on, but, but I hold them accountable to that. And I tell them, you know, if you're not, if that's not you, then don't come here. Yeah. You know, if you don't want to be held accountable, if you don't want those things, I'm, I tell them it's not, you know, it's not graham crackers and Kool-Aid. You're going to, you're going to get your butt kicked here. And you're going to have days where you feel like, man, I don't absolutely don't want to go through that, but I need to, <laughs> you know, but I tell them that on the front end. And I, and then I always preface it by saying, don't, you know, I don't want to hear you a year from now say that I didn't tell you and didn't warn you, Yeah. you know, and, I think being real like that in the, in the early process, I mean, I think when they have those thoughts, they can go back to that memory of me telling them that. So I think it helps. Yeah, absolutely. And what happens if a player does come and, you know, he doesn't live up to that expectation and just kind of like sits to the side. Do you, as a coach, do you, like, how do you react to that? Well, you know, I, with every single player that I have, I, you know, I'm, I meet with them individually and, you know, half of the meeting is, you know, their goals, you know, their bench goals and squat goals. And I always relate that to whatever the next level is. And okay. So if that's college, that's the NFL. If it's NFL, it's what, you know, it's what, a, you know, somebody in Canton has done or whatever the next level is. And so that's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, cause it, at that age, not a single one of them doesn't want to go to the NFL. Right. You know? And so, or if they're an NFL player, not a single one of them don't want to be in Canton. And so relating that to them um, and setting goals that way is good. And then, you know, you know, the other part of that meeting is that, is that why meeting. And I'm, I'm really figuring out what motivates them. What's their why? You know, what are they going to do if they don't play football anymore? Who's the most influential person in their life? What's the hardest thing they've ever gone through? You know, and, and essentially, I, you know, by doing that, you know, it's funny. Those three questions can get you to know somebody really, really fast. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and then, you know, by, investing in them i essentially asked their permission to be able to coach them hard you know because now i know what their goals are and i know what makes them tick um and so now i have that information they've told me they've told me what's important to them now that's their goals it's not my goals yeah. my my job now is just to keep them held accountable to their goals so if they you know if they're telling me that they want to go to the nfl and they're only doing five reps on 225 and the, the average is 22 but yet when we're doing bench press they're dancing over at the water cooler I can go over there and grab them and pull them aside and say, Hey, look, 
didn't you tell me that's what you want to do? Yeah. Do you think that this is helping you? you know, do you think this is helping you um, accomplish that goal? And and usually we can straighten it up with just a, a, a sidebar conversation. You know, if it, if it escalates to that, well, you know, I, I can I can escalate as well. You know, and and you know sometimes people you know need a reminder of consequences to actions. That's a great coaching strategy is to sit down with them first and find out what their goals are. So it's not you pushing it. It's actually their goals that you're pushing on themselves and you're helping coach them and guide them along the way. That's cool. And you mentioned when you meet with players, a lot of their dreams are go to the NFL and you have coached athletes that have gone on to get drafted and go play in the NFL and the next level. Is there a specific characteristic or a trait that sets these athletes apart from others? Yeah, you know, you sent me that question, and um, you know, I was looking over it before we talked, and yeah. I, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, I I don't know um, outside of physical ability, you know, if there's really necessarily a trait that they have prior to going. Yeah, you know, I think, I think athletic ability, unfortunately, for you know, I mean, if it, if it was just off work ethic, I would have been an NFL quarterback. <laughs> you know, yeah, but. There is a certain amount of athletic ability that it does require to play the game, and and I didn't want to admit that until I got to the NFL and saw those guys running around, and I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, I didn't. That, <laughs> I had no business. But that said, you know, I think you know what what happens is that there becomes a point at some point in the athlete's career where they are they're forced to either mature or not. They're forced to understand that the 22 hours outside of the building matters every bit as much as the, as the two hours inside the building. Yeah, good point. And, you know, and I think, um, unfortunately, what happens is, is, is you know, there's there's the, the talented players that, you know, you got the talented players that do everything right and they, and they go on to long, successful careers, you know. And then you got the talented players that don't do everything right and they're short-lived unless they change. And, you know, when, when it becomes your paycheck and how you provide for your family – Sometimes that's enough of a motivator, you know, sometimes it's not, you know, and then you got the untalented players that, you know, or borderline players, maybe they're very talented for a college player, but they're not for an NFL player that aren't living right. And they get smacked with the reality, you know, of once, you know, they're not as, they're not as good as they thought that they were, or everybody was telling them that they are. And, you know, some people can handle that and bounce back to whatever that next step is. And some people really struggle. You know, and and uh, and so my goal is always to try to to teach them that lesson early, to try to bring those, you know, try to to build a skill set that that they can they're they're resilient and they can handle those challenges. And if and if, if football doesn't work out, that's you know that's what I tell people. I'm a I'm a dream builder, not a dream killer. And so I'm never going to tell them that they can't go to the NFL because. I felt like people were telling me that my whole life. And even though I didn't hit it as a player, I did hit it as a coach, you know, and if I, if somebody would have told me, you know, you're not going to go to the NFL as a 10 year old, I would have listened to them. Well, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not talking to you today, you know, or, or anybody else, you know, and so I, I want them to aim high, you know, but I also want them to, to, to have a skill set that, that, you know, maybe they can use those, those gifts that they've been given in a different way. And, um, and so, I try to, you know, I, try, I show them what, what is good. I, I, I define good. You know, I let them know what an NFL player is and what the average is for their, their numbers and things like that. And, 
And we're going to work four or five years to try to accomplish that. Yeah. And we're going to give it everything we got. And if it doesn't work out, well, then we're going to put that same work ethic into something else. And we're going to be very, very successful in another area. You know, because, you know, in life, those, those qualities, you know, work ethic and attitude and, you know, effort and all those things, those do pay off. Another great coaching advice and, and some experience that you've had. Um, you, you mentioned earlier about working with the U.S. Army Special Forces, and I'd like to hit on that. Can you share that experience and, you know, what that taught you and how you applied that to your coaching strategy? Yeah, well, I did not work there very long, so i got to be honest with that. But, I, you know, because it was, it was in between University of South Florida and University of Tennessee. But I was there long enough to work with the guys and and build a relationship and, and go. And I, I think what I've learned in that experience is how powerful uh, the mind is. Mm-hmm. You know, um, here, you know, when you think Navy SEALs and Green Berets and, you know, Delta and SF groups and, and on down the line, you think of these just freaking hardened, you know, badasses <laughs> that, you know, uh, unbelievable athletic specimens. And the reality is that those guys are pretty normal looking. And they're pretty normal. They're, they have pretty normal athletic abilities. Um, the difference is, is that mentally they are, you cannot break them. You just, you know, it doesn't matter what you throw at them. They can handle it, you know? And, and, and so obviously taking that back to an athletic setting and showing that here's, here's a guy that's got, you know, NFL talent, but has a weak mind. Just think what they could be if they had that kind of mentality, you know, and, um, and had that kind of training. And so, you know, I always tell the story that I was there and, you know, I told a guy to go to failure on pull-ups, which in, in strength and conditioning is a, a common thing. It's just like you go until you can't go anymore, right? Yeah. And, um, and it's not that big of a deal. Well, I told this guy to go to failure on pull-ups and I, I walked off and I was helping somebody else and I look over and he's like on rep 30, <laughs> you know, and just screaming at the top of his lungs trying to get rep 31 and, and blacks out and falls and busts his chin open. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and so I, I freaking you know run over there, and I'm frantic. Yeah. And, you know, a couple guys in the weight room walk over, and they're like, I mean, they walk over, they don't run. Yeah, you know, they, they look at him. They, you know, they, they look at him and they see that he's breathing. And they're like, that medic, and they walk away. And <laughs> the, the medic comes in and stitches him up with no, you know, no drugs or anything. And oh my god, and the dude turned around and goes back to try to grab the bar to do another rep on pull-ups. And I'm like, no dude, you're done. <laughs> that, that mindset is just incredible. And that's, that's the difference. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. What a crazy story too. And like you said, I mean, the mentality it's, we recently had Jared Lemon on the show who was a Stanford running back. And now he's an actor. And one of the things he harped on was the 40% rule that, the Navy SEALs have and a lot of the military members have it's when you think you're done you know your body is only at 40% right you know so you can go a lot more than you think and it just brings me back to that military mindset of just constantly going and you just can't break that mentally that's what a, what a crazy story so going back to the coaching world when I think it coaches you know specifically football I see many who they want to develop players for the greater good you know outside of football because they know that a small percentage of them will actually play at the next level what is something that you teach that players can take with them outside the gym? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think the beauty, the beauty of the weight room, in my opinion, and one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted to be a strength coach, not say a football coach, because 
mean, for the longest time, that's how I identified myself as I was a football coach, but instead of having, you know, be a, a quarterback specialist or wide receiver specialist or whatever, I, my specialty was strength and conditioning, yeah. you know, and, and, um, and what I love about that, instead of going out recruiting and film study and all that was that I got to spend all that time with the guys in, in the weight room In the weight room, in my opinion, it's, it's, it's such a great laboratory life. You know, it's, you walk in and you have a plan and all of a sudden you get smacked in the face with a hard workout and you have to react and you, 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 you know, you have to work together with your teammates and of different cultures and different ethnicities and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And, you know, you have to set goals and work to achieve them and you have to deal with this adversity and, um, and, and, and accomplish things that you didn't think that you could and be uncomfortable doing it. And, you know, and all those things, I mean, it's, it's all happening in one workout, you know, and you got to turn around and do it again the next day. And, and again, it goes back to life. I mean, you're going to get, you know, you're going to, you, know, you wake up with a plan and, you know, the day smacks you in the face. And I think by finding the opportunities to, uh, educate the players as to what the ultimate game is, which is a game of life, mm-hmm. and how they can use sport to be prepared for that is is incredibly important. And I always talk about, you know, uh, my wife read a you know read an author uh, Brene Brown that you know talks about the power of vulnerability, and and so I watched her TED talk, and you know, and they said it, you know. The, vulnerability is, is it's very scary and it's a terrifying type of you know uh, emotion but it's also where curiosity and joy come from you know and so as a coach as a leader being vulnerable and being out in front of people you have an obligation to try to humanize you know what you do and so by being vulnerable myself whenever I'm you know if I'm if I'm having a fight with my wife, I tell the guys about it. If, I, if I'm dealing with something with my kids, I tell them about it because I want them to to, to see that being married isn't. That's not a. It's, it's not. You know, it's not always freaking candy and flowers. Yeah. You got You got to. There's a give and take there, and and being a parent's not the easiest thing in the world. But they're go, they're all going to be leaders of their families, you know, and and they have to be prepared for that. Um, and so taking those opportunities and finding the the human piece and inserting it into a very regimented I don't know not not narcissistic but kind of like testosterone driven you know environment where you, you don't ever want to show weakness you know that to me is what stands out and when you stand out like that in that way that's what resonates with people that you lead yeah and so I think that's the you know that's what I try to do I just I just try to arm them with you know tactics and skills that they can apply to everyday life. So I want to take you back to when you first started coaching. What is some advice that you would give yourself or what's some advice that you would give someone who's starting their coaching career in the strength and conditioning world? Yeah, I always tell people that there's a big, you know, what I've learned the most or what I wish I could go back and tell myself is that there's a difference between passion and emotion, you know, and, um, you know, early in my career, I'm, you know, I'm at the, University of South Florida and, and, you know, we have a 2000 square foot weight room, you know, and we're trying to build this, this program. And, and, uh, and so I literally have 10 lifting groups, you know, 10 straight hours of coaching where, you know, I'm eating a sandwich on the floor, you know, and, and, uh, while I'm taking guys through workouts, you know, for lunch and whatnot. And, you know, because we could only handle about eight guys at a time, 
when a guy showed up late, you know, I might have been on my seventh hour of the day. This kid, all, he might have just woke up and rolled out of bed and was late for that day. Yeah. And I had, I would always, you know, I would have an emotional response. I, I once threw a 45-pound plate at a kid for, for showing up 15 minutes late. You know, and uh, there's a big dent in the door at the in the weight room. In the, you know, I don't think the weight room's there anymore, but you know, <laughs> in the door of, of that weight room, and you know, and come to find out, the kid, you know, just start, got off the phone with his his paternal uh, grandfather and his paternal grandmother, who basically raised him, and had just passed away, and and uh, you know, he still he still showed up to workouts. So you can imagine once I found that out, I felt like a, a complete ass. Yeah, you know, but but. I had a very emotional response and what I was really trying to convey to the, you know, to that, to him and to the team was that, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm invested. I'm here. I've been, this is my seventh hour of coaching and I'm passionate about what I do, you know, and I was trying to convey that, but that only kid, that kid's only interaction with me that day and a, and a time of need was me calling him names and throwing a 45 pound plate at him. Yeah. And so I think that's what we often do as young coaches. We don't, we don't have the, the ability to, or the maturity yet to really kind of let the, you know, it doesn't change, you know, it doesn't change the fact that you don't hold them accountable to, to issues. It doesn't change the fact that you don't set high standards, but, you know, pull them aside, have a conversation with them, take, take the emotion out of it, find out what's really going on. See if there's a bigger issue that you can address, address it. But then also, you know, if you set the standards accordingly and, and, and maintain a consistency, then they, you know, the, the guys that they messed up, they'll own it, you know? And, and by the time later in my career, you know, when I, whenever a guy would show up late, I mean, if, my policy was if they always showed, if they showed up late, we stopped, you know, they had up till 10 minutes because stuff happens, you know, well, that used to not be the case with me. It was like, you're either on time or you're not. Yeah. If they show up late, cool. All right. That's fine. You got here. You, you were you know, maybe you freaking threw a car off a crying baby. I don't, you know, whatever <laughs> if you got there. Cool. So we blow the whistle, everybody starts chopping, we do 50 up-downs, and, and the person that was late does 100. You know, just like if we're on the football field and they jump off sides, everybody's penalized. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it may have been a bad call. It may be something you don't agree with, but it's, it's just, it is what it is. And so that was our policy on being late. So we just blow it, and, and guys would be like, man, I freaking – you know, they would do it and they would crush the extra 50 and they'd get up and they'd apologize to the guys and we'd move on. And it wasn't a big deal, you know? And, um, but you want to talk about taking that and transferring that on the field. You know, we were able to, you know, when things, little things happened, it was like, man, I, I got, that's me. That's me. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't some situation. It wasn't some big conspiracy. That was my fault. I apologize. Let's move on. Yeah. And they own up to it. You know, that's, that's interesting you bring that up because you do see, a lot of coaches, you know, act in, in an emotional way or from the outside, it looks like they're acting in an emotional way. And that, that process that you went through of saying, Hey, instead of me, you know, throwing my phone against the wall or throwing my sandwich down in the trash or whatever it is, I'm going to take a step back and take the player aside and ask him what's going on so I can help him out. That's a really good approach to coaching and it's, it's very mature. Um, and I think it's something that coaches can learn from and apply to their coaching style. Well, coach, I'd like to wrap up and I want to ask one final question that I ask everybody on the show. What's your favorite memory of either coaching or playing football? I mean, there's so many, Yeah, you know, um, I think if it was, if we're talking just like wins and athletic, you know, and athletics, it would be, you know, 
first time we sold out Raymond James when, you know, the first time, you know, the first game that we were there, I, my wife could hear me yell at her to put a book down in the stands <laughs> um, to, to where it was, you know, we were sold out and the city was lit up and, and green and gold or, or beating Florida state or being Miami, you know, when, you know, people didn't even, you know, couldn't even find the logo. Um, but if it was really just like coaching, we had a kid at, at South Florida that ended up, you know, that transferred in, that was a really good player, but had a drug and alcohol problem and, and just was ill-equipped, ill-equipped for college, ill-equipped for sports, uh, ultimately ill-equipped for the NFL. I mean, on his pro day, he comes, you know, showed up late and high and, um, and with a rat dog, a little dog in his palm, and he's walking around with a blow-up bowl and a dog and asking for the scouts to, to uh, give him water for his dog. You know, and then turns around and, and bust out a four, three, nine, forty, you know, with somebody with somebody else's cleats. I mean, it was that kind of talent. Wow. And um and of course, you know, he goes off, you know, we, him and I were oil and water. I mean, this is young in my career, so I mean all the uh, emotional responses you could have as a young coach I had. But I was always consistent, you know, I always I'd never I'd never I never relented. I didn't relent off of talent, I didn't relent off how how well he performed in the game, I was consistent. And, um, you know, he fast forward, he goes to the NFL, you know, basically, you know, gets you know, let go from the NFL because he was ill-equipped and essentially gets court-mandated military because he had made some, some mistakes off the field. And so they sent him to the Marine Corps. And, you know, so about seven years later, eight years later, he, he you know, I'm sitting in my office and all of a sudden, you know, this freaking stud young African-American male that's wearing a Marine uniform comes walking in, just looks like a freaking incredible stud. And he's got a tear in his eye. And he's like, man, coach Mac, you're the only person that would that put up my, and I just want to thank you, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, you know, that was something that like, I, that was a kid that I never thought that I would reach. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I could get to, and sometimes it takes eight years later. It takes a lot of things to happen, but you know, if you're consistent, it makes a difference. And so that's probably one of my best, if not the best memory. Wow. That's a great memory. You know, things like that, it's, it's worth it. Um, in my opinion, you know, I'm, I'm not a coach, but I can imagine that the day-to-day -day grind, but then just seeing players develop and seeing them go on to be just great, you know, human beings and something that you coach them and you had an impact on their life has to be one of the top rewards as, as a coach. Wow. Well, coach, thank you again for sharing your stories and sharing all of your advice. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And, and thank you for, for doing this and putting on a podcast. I know how much work goes into it. And I'm sure all your listeners appreciate it as well. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with coach Ron McKiffrey and took a little something that you could apply in your everyday life. Before you go, we're growing the content of Lessons from Sports on Authentic Athletes, and we need your help spreading the word. If you could, go to AuthenticAthletesTheShow.com. There are social links that you guys can click on and help spread the word that way, or you can just tell your friends about it. Either way, it helps us out and it helps us grow. Thank you guys again for being fans and for listening. Have a wonderful day.